Uh, we're happy to have you guys here with us this morning. <clears throat> uh, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Um, if you guys have been here for a couple of years, we've been, every time I've taught, we've gone, done a chapter, so it's been few and far between, but uh, we're going to finish today. So I'll give you guys a, a few seconds to turn to Jonah, and then uh, we'll get into it. We'll pray, and we'll, we'll get into it. Well, let's, uh, let's pray while you guys are turning, and then we'll kind of do an overview, uh, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about chapter 4. Uh, Lord, we, we come before you. We ask that you be glorified this morning. We, uh, we thank you so much for another day, another day to seek your face, another day to, um, <clears throat> to worship you, another day to, uh, um, to turn from the things uh, that we're doing that aren't, we're not supposed to and to, to turn to you in a, a day that you forgive us, a day that you're gracious, a day that you're merciful. Lord, we thank you that you are good to us. We pray that you would teach us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so while you guys are turning, if you haven't got there yet, uh, we're going to just kind of talk about it. Obviously, I, I looked it up. A little, I think the first study I taught was in uh, right around March of 2012, chapter 1. So I don't expect you guys to remember all that much from that one or any of the other ones. Uh, so we're going to talk about it, do a little overview, and, uh, and then we'll get into to the new portion. Um, I'm sure, you know, if you've been in the church, even if you haven't, you probably heard about Jonah, you know, Jonah, this guy who, um, you know, rebels against the Lord, he gets swallowed by a fish, blah, 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 you've seen the veggie tale, you know, you heard about it maybe in Sunday school, and uh, <clears throat> you know the story for the most part, you've heard the story, um, but there is actually a lot to the story, um, a lot of times I think we, we think we know it, so we kind of move on and we kind of just gloss over it, um, but there really is a lot to this uh, to this story, there is a lot of depth to it. There's a lot of um, <clears throat> parallels uh, to our own lives, and if we're honest with ourselves, um, we can say that there's many points, many times, many seasons in our life where we are, we have been uh, Jonah, so to speak. <clears throat> so um, I made a deal with first service. We'll make the same deal with you guys. Um, uh, we're going to be honest with ourselves this morning. We're going to be honest with, um, you know, our own hearts. I'll, uh, I'll say the things that are true that none of us really want to admit to ourselves. Um, I'll be the one who says those things. But you guys, part of the deal is you at least have to, in your own heart, agree with me that, yes, those are true in my own life. <clears throat> you don't have to necessarily admit them to me or to anybody else. But you have to admit that to yourself. You have to be honest with yourself on, on where you're at with the Lord. You have to be honest with yourself on um, <clears throat> the own selfishness, the own self-centeredness of your own heart and your own need, uh, just as Jonah needed our own need to repent. Um, Jonah was a man of God. Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was referred to in other places in Scripture as a prophet. And yet he had um, times and seasons in his own life where um, he only wanted to do what he wanted to do. He only wanted to follow his own will, his own direction, his own ambition, uh, and his own plan. And for us, even as Christians, uh, we need to, to kind of police our own hearts because even as Christians, even as people who have been saved, even as people who have been um, regenerated, so to speak, and, and given a new life and a new heart, we still have that fleshly, sinful desire to do what we want to do. 
to follow our own plan, to seek our own pleasure, to seek our own safety, to seek our own comfort, to seek our own stability, to seek our own pleasure. We have that tendency every day. We have the tendency every day to, to try to live our life for ourselves and um, you know, just kind of invite God along for the journey. God, I'm going to do what I want. I'll fit you in. I know you're good. I know you're God. I know you're powerful. So I know in some way, some shape, some, some form, you'll be glorified. I can feel good about myself and, you know, and we'll just you know, be happy. We'll all be good. But the fact of the matter is, is when we do our own thing, when we live our own life, uh, yes, God is glorified. We see that in this book that God has been glorified. God continues to glorify himself. But we see that Jonah never really is exactly where God wants him to be when he does his own thing, when he chooses his own way, when he seeks his own plan and his own purpose first and foremost. <clears throat> book of Jonah is four chapters. When you read the end of the fourth chapter, it seems like there should be a fifth chapter because it ends in a question, but there's a purpose in that. Um, chapter 1. Chapter 1, we saw uh, God called Jonah. He spoke to him. He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. God speaks to Jonah specifically and tells him his specific purpose, his specific plan, and his specific will. And Jonah says, nope, it's not going to happen. <clears throat> Rather than go to Nineveh, he flees to Tarshish. Uh, no one, uh, at least from what I read, they don't really know where this was. A lot of people think it was kind of on the coast of Spain. Um, it was basically in the farthest reaches of the known world. Jonah was trying to get as far away from the will of God as possible, as far as physically possible. He was going to the ends of the world to get away from God. He was running. He was fleeing. He was uh, doing his own thing, his own plan, his own purpose, his own desires, his own ambitions didn't fit in with the plan and the purpose of God. And Jonah thought that he had the right to do what he wanted, just as we often do, right? So, so often we think, well, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I want and uh, <clears throat> God wants me to be happy. I'll do what makes me happy and that must be God's will or we'll fit it in somehow. And Jonah thought, even though he had a calling on his life, even though God specifically told him what to do, he thought he had a right to kind of make and mold God's will and God's goals and God's purposes to fit his own. And the fact of the matter is, is so often as Christians and so often as people who try to live for the Lord, God is going to call you and me to do stuff that we really don't want to do that doesn't make us comfortable, that doesn't make us, you know, <clears throat> feel safe or feel secure or feel happy or, uh, you know, feel important. The last thing Jonah wanted to do was go to Nineveh, and that is the thing that God called him to do. And even though Jonah didn't want to do it, God still expected him to do it. And if you know the story, and we'll talk about it, Jonah ended up doing it regardless of his own uh, desires. So Jonah gets in his boat. It says he paid the fare. It probably cost him dearly. I can't imagine that a, a trip to the end of the world is cheap. It probably cost him a lot of money. He never got to where he was going. He got in the boat. He, uh, they set sail. <clears throat> and God brought about a, a storm, a great storm, a storm probably that unlike any of those guys had ever seen previous and probably never seen anything like it after. 
They did everything they could. They lightened the load. They probably did all whatever sailors do to, you know, get through a storm. And none of it worked. They got to the point where they threw the cargo overboard. They said, you know what, we're going to, we'll do anything possible to save our own lives. Again, back then, they didn't have State Farm. They didn't have, you know, anything like that where it's like, oh, we lost the cargo. All right, we'll pay your, you know, deductible and and we'll, we'll cover you. They were liable for that cargo. And it quite possibly could have cost them maybe everything they owned just to try to save their lives. And at one point, they go down and they find Jonah fast asleep, exhausted from running from the Lord. And the captain tells him, you know, arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. The heathens on that boat were encouraging Jonah to seek the Lord. That's how far he had ran from God. And he gets to the point where he confesses to them what he has done. And he tells them to throw me overboard and you will be saved. Jonah's rebellion didn't cost just him, it cost everybody around him. It nearly cost him his life, it nearly cost these sailors their lives. And that's what happens when we live for ourselves. That's what happens when we walk in our own ways. That's what happens when we do what we want rather than what God wants. Is It costs us and it costs those around us. We also see that God worked through it, that God worked through it to reveal himself to Jonah. God worked through it to reveal himself to the sailors. And we see if God can work even in our rebellion, imagine what he can do in our obedience. And then at the end of chapter 1 it says, And now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from uh, the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out, uh, to the Lord because of my affliction, he answered me. I cried out, um, or out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Chapter 1, we see Jonah running. Chapter 2, we see that Jonah, as far and as hard and as long as he tried to run, he couldn't get away from the, the calling of God. And God wouldn't let him go. And God pursued him. Though Jonah ran, God, uh, God I want to tell you guys, You might be able to run fast, but God can go a little faster. (laughs) You're not going to get away. Wherever you go, he's already there. Wherever you run, he is already there. Wherever you hide, he is with you. Because when you get saved, you are no longer your own. When you get saved, you have been bought with a price and God has given, gives you a gift. He gives you a calling. Every single Christian has something in their life that they are supposed to do. And you can't get away from it. You can try. I think we all have at one point or another in our lives. You can try to get away from the calling God has in your life, but you never will. And the sooner you stop running, the sooner God can start using you like he wants to. The book of Romans says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You can't revoke them. You can't give them up. You can't retire from them. You can't stop doing what God wants you to do. You can try, but as you see with Jonah, it didn't work. It's easier to do it willingly than unwillingly. It's easier to do it with the right heart than with the wrong heart. And we see in in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. I believe it's the King James Version. It says, basically, out of hell, I cried, and you heard my voice. 
Jonah basically was saying that as, as I ran from the Lord, my life was made a living hell. As I ran from God and His calling and His purpose and His goals for my life and for the things that He wanted to do in me and through me, I was miserable. It was the worst place that I have ever been. Because as a child of God, if we're not doing what He calls us to do, there is no peace. There is no satisfaction. There is no true communion with God or with His people when we are living for ourselves. We are living selfishly. This whole book is uh, the kind of overall attitude of Jonah's heart is a heart of selfishness. But the book luckily isn't, just, isn't about Jonah. It's not about a whale. It's not about a, a, a storm. It's not about Nineveh. It's about a God that is merciful and a God that is gracious, a God that is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And how he loves us so much he won't let us go. And how he loves us so much there's nothing we could do, there's no place we could run, there's no distance we could try to put between us and God that is too great for him to, to forgive and too great for him to restore and too great for him to cover that distance to pursue us in order to get us to where he wants us to be. That's a comfort to me. <laughs> As a child of God, we can't get away. And Jonah gives us a good picture of that. How much better to learn from this picture than to have to go through it in our own lives. <clears throat> he spent three days and three nights in, in, the, in the belly of this fish. And it says that God prepared this fish um, to swallow Jonah. How he did it, what it was, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, you'll read, oh, well, maybe it was this fish, or maybe it was this well, or whatever. I mean, God is so big, he could have made a single fish for a single purpose. And it reminds me how no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, no matter how far I ran, no matter where I've gone or where you've gone, there are things that are going on in our lives that aren't coincidences. They are preparations that God is doing and God is bringing into our lives in order for a purpose, to teach us something, to protect us, to help us, to provide for us, to get us from where we're at to where we're supposed to be. I'm sure Jonah didn't expect when they threw him in the water that he was going to swallow by a fish. So often in our own lives, what God does is the last thing we would expect. But it got Jonah from where he was back in the right direction of where he was supposed to be going. Jonah was in the probably lowest place he'd ever been, probably the lowest place he'd ever will be in his entire life in these three days, in the, the belly of the fish. At the end it says, And so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. After Jonah had turned back to God, after he had sought his face, after he realized the error of his ways and that God and God alone was his salvation and that he couldn't do it on his own. I don't know about you guys, but vomit is probably one of the worst things in the world. I mean, the way it smells, the sound, the look. You hear someone, you know, and it's just like, I mean, I'll start gagging just listening to someone vomit. <laughs> Jonah became vomit. He wasn't even around it. He was, didn't get on him. He was vomit. You don't get much lower than that. 
And that is where Jonah got himself. He's probably thinking, how did I get to this place? Like we often do. We're going, looking at the situations and the circumstances around us, going, how did I get here? And often the answer is, is you got yourself there because you were thinking about yourself and only yourself. You were being selfish, you were being self-centered, you were being prideful, and you were being disobedient to the Lord. And that's why you are where you have found yourself in the past, maybe. Jonah had no one to blame but himself for his present situation. But in all of that, in, in the trials and the tribulations, in the hurt, in the, you know, um, you know, taking the long way to Nineveh, Jonah was, the Lord was still working in Jonah's life. The Lord didn't let Jonah go. The Lord was still pursuing him because there was still a purpose in Nineveh that was beyond just, you know, having the gospel preached in Nineveh. God could use anybody else. God didn't need to use a person to have Nineveh saved, but he knew that Jonah needed to go to Nineveh just as much as Nineveh needed the gospel brought to them. So chapter 3, we see Jonah um, finally kind of gets, gets his act together. Um, it was um, the closest spot where he could have been vomited onto dry land was still um, hundreds of miles from where Nineveh was uh, located. It was the capital city of Assyria. Assyrians were a great and powerful and evil and wicked and violent nation, uh, basically on a kind of a tour for world domination. They were taking over cities and countries and peoples and uh, killing and torturing and maiming and uh, just basically, they were just ruthless people. So he had, he had some time to go. He had some time to think. He had some time to reflect. He had some time for God to work in his heart. And this was a, a great city. Um, estimates that I've read were somewhere around for Nineveh and its surrounding suburbs, you could say, were about 600,000 people. To put that in perspective, Victorville's got about 120,000, Hesperia's got about 92,000, Apple Valley's got about 70, Phelan's got 14, Painted Hills 7,000, Wrightwood is coming in at an uh, astounding 4,500. Um, sounds like a lot, right? I mean, all these people. Uh, the total population basically for this whole region is estimated, um, the last census is less than 310,000 people. About half of what this city was. It was a great city. San Bernardino, Colton, Rialto, and Fontana don't even quite make it. Combine all the populations. This was a lot of people. This was a lot of souls that needed um, to hear about God. A lot of souls that needed to hear that their wickedness was not going to go unchecked. A lot of souls that needed to know that there was a merciful and gracious um, God who you know, abounds in loving kindness. And in the midst of 600,000 people, Jonah thought that his one person was more important than all of them combined. And isn't that true in our own lives? Isn't that true in your life and my life that so often we are surrounded by people that need the Lord, people that need salvation, people that need to hear, people that need a good example, people that need to be loved, people that need to know that their wickedness will not go unchecked and yet the only person that we can think of isn't our family, it's not our friends, it's ourselves. It's me. <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. I am so often guilty of the same thing. So often I think that I am the most important person on this planet. 
So often I think that you should think that I am the most important person on the planet. <laughs> and I can tell you, I, I understand and I know that you think the same thing because I think the same thing. I know that your heart so often is in the wrong place because my heart is so often in the wrong place. And I know that so often you are thinking of one person and one person alone, and that is you and your pleasure and your comfort and your safety and your security because that is me most of the time, if not 99.9% of the time. I might have a spurt of selflessness somewhere in there by the grace of God. And Jonah goes and he speaks to the people, and uh, this is his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Some people say, well, he had to say more than that because how he turned to God. I don't think he really said more than that. We can't say some more than that because this is all the word says. Is Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I can see him just going through the city, going through the suburbs, saying this and moving on because he didn't care about these people. In fact, uh, as you read the book and you look at it, it seems like he wanted this to happen. He wanted so many days go by and then he wanted to watch that city burn. And he wanted those people to be done and destroyed and over with. Because he knew who they were. He knew their wickedness. He knew the violence. He knew what they did. And he knew they didn't deserve the grace of God. But what he forgot is he himself didn't deserve it either. And Jonah goes, um, somewhat reluctantly so, probably, and he goes and he speaks to these people anyway. Why? Because uh, Jonah learned that he was going to, or he was learning anyway, that you can't get away from God's calling. You are going to end up doing what he wants you to do one way or another. Willingly or unwillingly. Just as Apostle Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll read that in a minute. But that is the, the background of the story. That is what has gone on so far. And then we're going to end the book this morning with chapter 4. So please uh, go ahead and read along with me. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry, so that he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said to Jonah, or then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might be shade for that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Um, but as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm so that it damaged the plant, that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? 
Here we see Jonah. <clears throat> he goes, he uh, is a man of God. He is a, uh, a prophet. This is not only his, uh, you know, his calling. This is, I guess you could call it his career. He is a career ministry guy. He goes, he uh, preaches this message, um, a short message, eight words, um, yet 40 days, and uh, Nineveh will be, uh, uh, over, or shall be overthrown. And uh, 600,000 up to, at least let's just say hundreds of thousands of people come to know the Lord. They collectively turn and they repent. It says a people turn. The word came to the king. The king set out, uh, said, uh, but let uh, man and beast be covered in sackcloth and cry out mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he uh, said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. This was the greatest accomplishment in Jonah's ministry, this greatest accomplishment in his career. This is the greatest revival that we know of. I don't that ever was on the, the face of the planet. Hundreds of thousands of people turning to God at once. Yet Jonah's still upset. <laughs> Yet Jonah's still angry. Yet Jonah is not only displeased, but he is displeased exceedingly. Why? Because he was selfish. Why? Because God's plan and Jonah's plan didn't coincide. Because God had a plan to be gracious and to be merciful. And Jonah had a plan that he wanted God to be just. didn't go Jonah's way. So even though people turned to the Lord, even though their hearts were changed, even though they had turned from their evil and the violence that was in their hands, he was still not happy. And so in our own lives, God could be doing great works and we're still not happy because it's not what we had planned on. Because it doesn't go according to my plan and my will and my purpose. Jonah went reluctantly, Jonah preached reluctantly, and Jonah was in the midst of all this, still had a lesson to learn that it was not about Jonah. He did it with a wrong heart. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. The Apostle Paul knew and Jonah was quickly learning that um, when God puts a calling on your life, some way, shape, or form, somehow, you're going to fulfill it. <laughs> if willingly, then awesome. God will, will reward you. If unwillingly, then you're just doing what, what you were made to do how much easier, how much better, how much greater it is when we realize that, that we can't get away from God, we realize that we must be obedient to God, and we realize that there is only one way in which we can live, and that is to live for the Lord. And we start doing it, and, and, and we realize, Lord, this is so much better than living for myself. Jonah was thinking of one person. Himself. Jonah was living uh, a self-centered, a self-seeking uh, life, and that is what caused him to be angry. Have you ever noticed that, that when you only think about yourself, you're never happy? <laughs> when you only think about yourself, you're never satisfied. When you only think about yourself, then nothing can make you uh, anything less than bitter 
and angry. Because rarely do things go our way. And it makes you upset and irritated and frustrated with those around you, with your friends, with your family, with the church, with the people at work, with the people at school, because they don't realize that you're more important than they are. (laughs) Right? I'm more important than you. You're not realizing it. You're making me angry because you're not treating me like I'm supposed to be treated. They're mad at you because they think the same thing you're thinking. And nothing happens and nothing gets done and nothing goes our way. And that is where Jonah was at in his life. Whatever was going on, whatever was happening, whatever you know was going on in his heart, there's only one thing and one prevailing attitude is if it's not my way, then, it, then I don't care about it. And when we live our lives thinking only of ourselves, our whole priority, our whole system of priorities is, is messed up. Jonah should have been rejoicing. Jonah should have been excited. Jonah should have been more thrilled right now than at any other point in his life. And instead he was angry. So angry he said, just kill me now, God. Can't believe you just saved these people. There's hundreds of thousands. Might as well just die. And when we take our eyes off the Lord, when we place our eyes on our temporary pleasures and pursuits, there is nothing that will come to us but disappointment. So we prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is where Jonah was at. This is how angry he was because really uh, what had happened was his worst fear had come true. God had been merciful to his enemies. God had shown grace and mercy to his enemies and Jonah wanted no part of it. Jonah's greatest fear when he was going to Nineveh wasn't that, that the Assyrians would, uh, would harm him, wasn't that they would kill him, wasn't that they would torture him. His greatest fear in going to Nineveh was that God would be gracious and merciful to his enemies. You might be thinking, man, how, how messed up Jonah was. I can't believe this guy. But we're not any different than Jonah. <laughs> We're not any different. There's people in our lives, maybe in our, you know, quote-unquote friends, family, work, you know, uh, you know, our coworkers, or, or those who we go to school with, or those who we see on the occasional base or whatever, that, that all we would really want, nothing would make us more happy than if something bad happened to them. Right? <laughs> Unfortunately, we laugh because it's true. We might never say it, we may never admit it out loud, but in our hearts we know it's true that there are people that we genuinely hate. And Jonah genuinely hated these people and he genuinely desired their harm. And when God was merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness towards them, it made him angry, exceedingly displeased him. It's because Jonah forgot that he too needed the grace of God. It's because Jonah forgot that he too needed the mercies. Because Jonah forgot that he was in the same lot as those people, sinner. 
when we have such a high view of ourselves that we place ourselves above others. This is the attitude and this is the heart that grows inside of us. Jonah said, this is what I was worried about. This is why I ran. This is why I tried to get away because I knew who you were, God, because I knew that no matter how evil, no matter how violent, no matter how much these people you know, just uh, killed and maimed and tortured, I knew that you would still forgive them. And that is the God that we serve. No matter how far you run, no matter how far you, what you've done, God can still forgive you. And God desires and God waits and God longs for you to, to turn and to turn from the, your evil way and the violence that is in your hands and to repent. Jonah's will was contrary to what God's will was. Jonah's will was pretty much the exact opposite of God's will. And oftentimes we find ourselves in that position. We know what God wants. We know what he desires and we don't do it. Or we know what we shouldn't be doing and we do it. And we throw up maybe a token prayer. Okay, Lord, lead me. Cool. I'm going to do what I want. I'll invite you along for the ride. Now I'm going to do what I want and we'll fit you into my plans. Now we'll do what I want and somehow I know because you're God and you're good and you're powerful, you'll somehow be glorified. And we live selfishly and we live to please ourselves and we live to, to make our bank accounts grow and we live to get a bigger house and we live to get a better car and we live to be popular and we live to have our reputation be something that really we're not but we want people to think we are. And we hope that God will bless it. But the fact of the matter is, is when we serve the Lord, when we begin to truly desire to be what he wants us to be and to do what he wants us to do, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take commitment. It's going to mean dying to ourselves, and that is not easy. It's going to mean that we sacrifice. It's going to mean that we at times suffer. It's going to mean at times that we face uh, shame. Because the cross was a cross of, it was something of shame. And we are called to, to take up our cross and to follow Christ. And oftentimes we don't think that we should have to go through those things. We don't think that we should have to sacrifice. We don't think that we should have to suffer. We don't think that uh, we should have to, uh, you know, suffer shame. Well, the fact of the matter is, is when Jesus hung on that cross, it was a shameful thing, and he did it for us. He hung next to two people who deserved death, and he didn't. He was beaten, he was scourged, he was, uh, he was uh, placed on it. You know, you see those things, it's like, oh, he's got a little towel on him. He didn't have a towel. He was naked. And when we serve the Lord, there are times when, when we will be a fool to everybody around us. 1 Corinthians says in chapter 1, it says that, that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We're going to be that guy. <laughs> We're going to be that girl. We're going to be that person that everybody thinks is a complete and utter fool, an idiot, someone who doesn't know anything about anything because we are living for God rather than for ourselves or for God rather than money or for God rather than pleasure or for God rather than fill in the blank. 
It doesn't happen naturally <laughs> for us. Naturally, we are selfish. Naturally, we seek our own pleasure. Naturally, we seek our own comfort and our own protection. If you want to serve the Lord, it's going to take you doing what does not come naturally to, to us as humans. You're not going to get up and just, you know, uh, kind of wander your way through life doing what you want and, and, and find yourself exactly where God wants you to be. It's going to take a choice. It's going to take a commitment. It's going to take you doing everything um, in God's power to live for Him. And even then, we're not going to get it right. <laughs> even then, we're going to mess it up. But Christianity is active. Christianity is not passive. Christianity doesn't just happen. Christianity you know, doesn't just, just come naturally and easily to anybody. Christianity is, is a constant struggle a constant fight, a constant battle. And we see in Jonah's life, he was kind of just doing what he wanted and, uh, and we see where it got him. And in our own lives, we can look and see how when we just do what we want, when we are active in, in trying to serve the Lord and seeking him and, and making hard choices and relying on him and his strength to, to achieve um, you know, obedience, then we fall into the same rut that Jonah did. It's about me, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. Why doesn't anybody get this but me? It's about me. And the more we fight, the more bitter and the more angry we get to the point where Jonah says, just kill me. Just end my life. It's better for me to live than to die. So please take my life from me. And, and we've all probably been there in our anger, you know. Oh, God, nothing's working out. I'm trying to do this stuff. I'm trying to make this, you know, whatever. And nothing is working out. Why don't you just kill me now? Because that would be easier than the things you're putting me through. Luckily, God doesn't listen to us all the time. <laughs> in the sense that he does what we say. He hears us. And this is the thing I appreciate about Jonah. Is Jonah was honest with God. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. God knows the things we go through. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to fake. You don't have to, you know, he knows what's in your heart. So I, I, I like that Jonah, you know, he, he was honest with the Lord in, in, in this. He needed to repent, but he didn't hide his, his emotions. He didn't hide his thoughts. He didn't hide from, you know, trying to, telling the Lord what was in his heart. When we're honest with the Lord, it reveals to us just how far we are away from Him. And it reveals to us how much we need to repent. So I'd encourage you guys, be honest with God, but be honest in, in, in a way that, that you look at it and you realize, okay, yeah, this is how I feel, but I shouldn't feel that way. Jonah wasn't there yet. Jonah knew how he felt. He knew that he thought that he was justified in his feelings. Jonah thought he was justified in thinking that, that nobody else mattered except himself. And this is the thing, and I don't think it's ever changed, it's ever been any different. The world will constantly tell you that the, this life is about you. And the world will constantly tell you that this life is, 
about having a good job and a good career and a big house and a couple good cars and a family that's perfect and um, whatever else, fill in the blank. And the world constantly feeds this lie to us that appeals to our sinful nature and we believe it, even as Christians. And it's wrong and it's a lie and it, it, is, it is from the devil himself. Because if he can get you as a Christian to think that you're the only one that matters, you'll be completely ineffective. Or at least marginally effective when God wants you to be, you know, greatly effective. The world will tell you it's all about you. The world will tell you it's all about, you know, what you want and how you want to do it. It doesn't matter what it takes as long as you, you know, get what you want. It doesn't matter if it's wrong, just don't get caught. And go out and, 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 and get what you want. But this is what the Lord says and this is what the Lord does. He asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? God often in the Bible and in our own lives asks questions to the rebellious and those who are running and fleeing from him. God asked Adam when he was in the garden after he sinned, you know, where are you? Who told you you were naked? God asked Cain about his brother after he had killed him. God asked Elijah as he ran into the wilderness and ran away um, after a great victory after he killed you know, the 450 prophets of Baal. And then uh, Queen Jezebel is like, well, you know what? Now I'm going to kill you. And he takes off running. And God says, why are you out here? What are you doing? God asked Saul, why are you persecuting me? It wasn't because God didn't know the answer. It was because God wanted them to answer and them to get a perspective on where they're at in their life. And he often asks us questions, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants us to answer them and for one second to get a perspective on our life because in the midst of the situation, it is hard to see what's really happening. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to have this attitude? Is it right for you to be running? And when you stop and think about it in the perspective of you know, eternity, you can probably say 100% of the time, no, it is not right. Is it right for you to have this attitude? Is it right for you to be thinking about yourself? Is it right for you to be selfish? He asks these questions to us. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made... For it, or made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade that he might see what would become of the city. We see what happens here to Jonah. He leaves the city. He abandons the people, the people that need direction, the people that have just you know turned to the Lord. Once again, he leaves his ministry, he abandons it, and he goes off to be by himself. And this is what happens when we're selfish. This is what happens when we're self-centered. This is what happens when we're disobedient. We think about our own uh, self-centeredness and our own glory rather than God's. Is We isolate ourselves from everybody else. We sit on the sidelines. We become an observer in ministry and an observer of life rather than a participant of it. It's lonely, it's a depressing place, it's a place you don't want to be, but it's a place you put yourself in because the only person you can care about and think about is yourself, and all these other people just don't get it, so I don't want anything to do with them. I don't know what was going on in Jonah's head, but I know probably what would be going on in my own head, because I'm evil and wicked, is I probably would be up there and I built my little shack or shelter or lean-to, whatever it was, and, and I would probably be up there thinking, well, it's not that good, but it's better than what I've had. It's 
better than being in the storm. It's better than losing, you know, the fare, all my money. It's better than losing my reputation. It's better than losing, you know, being in that fish for three days. It's better than getting vomited. It's better than having to walk a few hundred miles to get to, you know, Nineveh. It's better than, you know, me sharing the word of God to these people that don't deserve it and they turn to the Lord. I can't go back to Israel because Israel hates Nineveh and I'm the one who, you know, was part of that revival. I told them that they were going to be destroyed and that's probably not going to happen. So there goes my reputation as a prophet. Everything I've done thus far to serve the Lord has, has only served to hinder me in my life and my comfort and my reputation. I've served the Lord and it's cost me everything. Don't have much, but it's more than what I had. And I think we often have that attitude is we, you know, we see, you know, all the, the good things in our lives, you know, at least I got this, you know, shack in the wilderness. And we, we, we attribute those things to ourselves. Well, look what I did. Look what I built. Look what I have. And we look at everything that maybe caused us um, when we think about it selfishly and we say, well, that was God's fault. <laughs> you know, I was trying to do what he wanted me to do. And that's what happened. And that's what it cost me. And I want you to look at, at this picture and look at what Jonah did and what Jonah had. First of all, all these bad things that happened were Jonah's fault. And what Jonah had really wasn't that much. Jonah had a little shack or whatever he could have scrounged up and built out in the desert where he was alone, where he was angry, where he was bitter, when he could have been inside the walls of Nineveh where he could have been serving the Lord. And when we're selfish and when we're self-centered and when we think only of ourselves, we end up isolated alone with nothing. When we could be in the midst of what God is doing. We could be effective. Where we could be doing what God wants us to do and seeing what God is doing and seeing how God is changing lives and... And the choice is ours. Verse 6, it says, And the Lord prepared a plant and, it, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shaved for his head and deliver him for his misery. Obviously, that little shelter wasn't all that great, was it? Um, so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. We see here for the first time that Jonah's happy. For the first time in this book, and the first time in these four chapters, we see that Jonah is happy. He is very grateful for the plant. It wasn't that God saved his life. It wasn't that God saved the lives of the sailors. It wasn't that God delivered him. It wasn't that God provided a fish to keep him alive and get him to, you know, at least going in the right direction. It wasn't that God saved hundreds of thousands of people. The first time in this book that Jonah is happy is when he is comforted. Isn't it true in our lives that everything good could be happening around us, but if it doesn't pertain to us, it doesn't make us happy? You find a quarter on the ground and you're more happy than, you know, that we're going to be feeding a bunch of people tomorrow night because, hey, buy a piece of bubble gum. It makes me happy. It makes me comfortable. It makes me excited because now for once, God is helping me out. 
God blessed Jonah in spite of his rebellion. And that's one of the things that we could see, that God was gracious and merciful to Nineveh, and God was gracious and merciful to Jonah, even in his rebellion, even in his running away, even in our rebellion and our running away. God still desires to bless us because God's blessing never, ever, ever is dependent on our uh, ability to be worthy of it, our ability to earn it, our ability to, to do something to where we, uh, we have it coming to us because we never deserve it. We never earn it. We're never worthy of any blessing of God. And yet even when we're doing everything we can to run from God, He still desires to bless us because He's a good God, because He loves us, because He cares for us. It says God prepared this plant. We see that God prepared a fish. God prepared a plant. Next verse, we're going to see that God prepared a worm. The verse after, God prepared a wind. Why? Because all these things were happening in Jonah's life. They weren't by coincidence. They weren't because Jonah worked so hard that he deserved them or he made them happen. They all happened because God was um, preparing these situations and these things in Jonah's life to get him closer to where God wanted him to be. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm so that it damaged the plant. It withered and it happened when the sun rose that God prepared the vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head and he grew faint that he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. We see the preparation of all these things in Jonah's life because God was using these things that happened, these physical things, in order to bring about a spiritual end in Jonah's life and in Jonah's heart. God took away the one thing that made Jonah happy, that plant, in order to get him to realize that it's not just about your happiness. It's not just about my happiness or my comfort or my you know, ambitions. And when we're focused only on ourselves, even the small things, these circumstances, work to make us miserable and to make us angry and to make us bitter. But when we're focused on the Lord, then the circumstances don't affect us quite so much. Oh, they do, physically. It might be the same exact circumstance, but the priority and the perspective changes. And we can trust the one who loves us, who's gracious, who's merciful, who's slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, and who controls the situations. And God said to John, he asked him again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant. And he says, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Again, God asks Jonah a question, and Jonah answers. He says, right, I'm justified in my anger. I'm justified in how I feel right now. And God puts a little more perspective in verse 10. He says, but the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night, in a night, and perished in a night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Here the book ends. The book ends with a question. And it seems like there should be more to it. A couple more verses, another chapter, something. Uh, you know, I'm not an author. I don't write books, but I'm pretty sure this isn't the usual way to end a book. I've read quite a few books, and none of them end this way. God asks a question to Jonah, and it gives us a perspective, and, and it gives us, you know, um, the sense of, of wonder what happened. 
Jewish tradition has that Jonah did, I know, turn to the Lord. He did repent. We don't know if that's true or not. We hope it is. But the fact of the matter is we don't know what happened next. We don't know if Jonah went down to Nineveh. We don't know if he went back home. We don't know if he uh, sought the Lord and, and did what he said. We don't know if he ran away again. We don't know what happened. And it's on purpose. If we were meant to know, we would know because it would be in here. We're meant to wonder. We're meant to question. We're meant to be left with this question because in our own lives, day by day, moment by moment, we must ask ourselves the same question. And we can't answer it for Jonah. We can't answer it for our friends or our family, the person sitting next to you, but we can answer it for ourselves. Who's most important in your life? What is most important in your life? Are you the... Are you on the throne? Are you worshiping yourself in essence? Or are you worshiping God? Do you desire your own will and your own comfort and your own pleasure and your own um, goals and ambitions and dreams? Or do you desire to be obedient to God and to fulfill the calling He has placed in your life, whatever it is? No one can answer it for you. You can only answer this question. You can only, you know, choose the direction in which you're going. And, and I'll tell you just, you know, I'm not telling you this because I got it figured out or because I am perfect. I tell you this because uh, God has convicted me this whole past week as I've been studying and reading. And I've come to realize that I have lived for myself since September of 1985 because I was born in September of 1985. <laughs> And I say that jokingly kind of, but not at all, because it's true. And as we look at our lives, and as we think back, and as we could truly be honest with ourselves and look back the last year, the last month, the last, you know, since 1985 or 1965 or whenever you were born, the last week, the last day, this, this past morning, and you could think about your life and how would it have been different, what things would be changed if you for just a little while stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about everybody else and stop thinking about what I want and start thinking about what God wants. Because, you know, to all of our shame, I say this because so often we want what we want and we give God's will and God's purpose and God's glory, you know, we don't even give it a second thought. And we could justify our minds, oh, I'm a Christian, I come to church, or I try to help out. But for the most part, with things that we do and the decisions we make and the things that we say and the attitudes we have, the first person that they benefit is us. The first person that benefits from what I do is usually me. I'm not in the greatest habit of making decisions based on what's best for everybody around me. But we need to change that. We need to change that heart, that attitude in our lives. And again, it is something active. It is not something passive. If we just go through our life passively, we will do every day the things that we want to do and we will live every day in selfishness and in anger and in bitterness and in pride. Because that's our natural, you know, we revert back to that every day, every moment. 
Christianity is a thing of sacrifice. Christianity is a thing of pain. Christianity thing is a thing, again, of, uh, you know, times a thing of shame. Not that we're ashamed of the gospel, but that in the eyes of the world, we are complete and utter idiots because we have a different perspective. We have a different, you know, um, everything of, of, about us is, is different. And Christ bore those things for us. And if we as Christians somehow think that those things are beneath us, that we are above those things, that we shouldn't have to suffer those things because things are different now or, or we, you know, whatever, then we'll never be where God wants us to be. And I've been convicted, like I said, all week of this because I have looked at my own life and I've realized how much and how often I have failed in all of this. And if you're honest with yourself, you can say, you know, and don't think about your, your spouse, your kids, your family, your friends, the guys at work, or people at, at school, whatever. Think about your own life and your own self, and you can say that daily and, you know, hourly we fail at this. Luckily, we have a God that is merciful, a God that is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness that covers our sins, that covers our debt, that covers all the things that we have done in selfishness and pride, but that is not an excuse to continue in those things. So I would encourage you guys, look back in your own life, not to the point of depression, like, oh man, I ruined my life, but to the point of encouragement where I can, we can change. The past is the past. We can't change it. The future may never happen. We don't have that guaranteed. All that we have is right now. If you could just ask yourself a question when you are making decisions, ask yourself, is this for me or is this for God? Is this in selfishness or in selflessness? I guarantee you, your actions will be different going to be hard and I didn't want to teach this study because as I studied it I realized I had to confront issues in my own life that I didn't want to deal with and I would challenge you guys with me as one who struggles just as you do confront those issues in your life that you don't want to because if you never do that you will never be where God wants you to be so let's pray Lord, um, Lord, I thank you so much that, that you are gracious and merciful and, and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, God, because I need that. Because I need that more than I even understand and more than I realize and more than I know. Lord, I thank you that you, even in our rebellion, even in our running, even our, our own pursuing of our own happiness and comfort and goals and ambitions, Lord, that you still love us and you pursue us and you still bless us but you don't leave us as we are, God. You desire to make us like yourself, God. Please please enable us to do those things. Please help us. Give us the strength by the power of your spirit to make those hard decisions, to choose selflessness over selfishness, to choose your glory over ours. Lord, it's not easy, God, but it's, uh, it's the, the life we want to live. Please be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.